2: Good evening, everyone. We'll begin the readout tonight with the jihad that House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy and the GOP are waging against the select committee investigating January 6th. Little Kevin now claims that Congress doesn't even have the right to investigate the violent attempt to overthrow the government. And most laughably, he's comparing the insurrection to a bank robbery.
3: Should members of Congress do investigations when someone robs a bank? Or should law enforcement do it? But now what the... What the Democrats are doing are trying to use an unconstitutional, unlawful ability to go after Americans who they think disagree with them philosophically.
2: But beneath his bluster and lies, Kevin is clearly running scared, petrified that he might be more deeply implicated in the events of that day. Multiple outlets are now reporting that McCarthy's phone records are also subject to the preservation requests that the committee issued on Monday to more than 30 social media and telecom companies. That means there's a decent chance that his data will be the target of a potential subpoena. And that explains McCarthy's panic when he's issued an unprecedented threat to those companies on Tuesday, effectively vowing to destroy them if they comply with investigators. McCarthy's not just demanding that those companies stonewall Congress. He's running a protection racket, not unlike the mafia, with the threat of retribution. He's extorting private sector companies for a guarantee of safety, which begs the question, what exactly is he trying to hide? Now, let's remember, Lil' Kevin is among at least a dozen Republicans to have their communications targeted by the select committee. An all-star list of MAGA bootlickers who plotted to steal the election for Trump. Many of those same Republicans are now threatening to sue the telecom companies if they comply with the committee, according to Forbes. Given their outcry, it appears that the investigation is on the right track. As GOP strategist Rick Wilson said this week, their guilt is rolling off of them in waves. They're drowning in an ocean of flop sweat. But those Republicans are not just running scared from the committee. They're also afraid of their own. Congressman Andy Biggs, who's also a target of the investigation, is now lobbying to expel the Republican, the two Republican members of the select committee from the GOP caucus. He's penned a letter to Kevin saying that Congresswoman Liz Cheney and Congressman Adam Kinzinger are two spies for the Democrats. We cannot trust these members to sit in our Republican conference meetings while we plan our defense. Of course, Biggs wouldn't be so paranoid if he had nothing to hide. With me now, Dino Badala, host of the Dino Badala show on Sirius XM and an MSNBC columnist. Juanita Tolliver, Democratic strategist and Rick Wilson, the co-founder of the Lincoln Project and the aforementioned person that I quoted about the flop sweat. Rick, you know, it's funny because Kevin, it's almost like Kevin McCarthy. If he hung a sign on himself saying I committed crimes, please don't hurt me. It couldn't be more obvious, what? right, that he is terrified right. of this of this. It's like
4: it's like the mafiosa who says, hey, listen, you know. I know my accountant may be testifying against me, but he's got a nice house and a nice family. It'd be a shame if something happened to them. You know, this, it, it's so crude and so, and so clownish and so, you know, Putin-esque that, <laughs> that it, it really gives away the game of where these people are headed. This isn't a, a, a conservative political party. They're a bunch no. of authoritarian kleptocrats. These guys, these guys need shinier suits and slicked back hair. It's it's it really has reached the point of absurdity.
2: And they should be striped like zoot suits, like with the big shoulders. Like They need to go full on, like go full on. You know, Juanita, I mean, the thing is, I don't know why they think that A, this is going to work on the companies. Subpoenas are just perfectly legal. There's nothing wrong with the subpoenas. They're going to have to comply. They're not Donald Trump. They don't have presidential whatever he thought he had immunity. No one's going to respect that. Do you think that this winds up making the committee more
1: aggressive? Because it does make it look like they did something wrong. Joe, I sure hope so, because all this did was kick a hornet's nest and now they're all buzzing crazy. They don't know which way to go and they're all scrambling. And that fear that they're demonstrating with every letter they write, with every person they try to throw under the bus should reaffirm the January 6th select committee that you're spot on. Don't deter course. Don't back down. If anything, push harder to get what you need, because the American public not only deserves the truth, but anybody who was involved in helping to precipitate this or participate in any way, those members of Congress should be expelled and held accountable. And so the select committee should keep on going. You know, and Dean, I'm going to take
2: advantage of the fact that you're my friend. So I know that not only are you a a, a funny, hilarious guy and a great radio host, you're also a lawyer. Uh, This is Washington Post. And they're saying, what federal law is Kevin McCarthy citing when he threatens telecom firms? There actually isn't a specific law stopping these companies from handing over information. Like there actually isn't anything that he can do to stop these subpoenas, right?
3: Joy, are you saying Republicans need laws? What are you kidding me? They make things up. They make it whatever they want. It's a fantasy to be a Republican now. It's like being Peter Pan. Whatever you wish can come true. Come on, hold my hand, Wendy. Let's fly. This is the reality. Look at this. When they get the records, it's gonna be like the the horror movie. We've traced the call. It's coming from inside the house. Literally, the House of Representatives. It's Kevin McCarthy and Jim Jordan talking to Donald Trump. This is 20 years ago, Joy, after 11, when Rick was a Republican. What did George Bush say? Either with us or you're with the Terrorists. Twenty years later, where are they now? You're either with Trump's terrorists or you're out of the GOP. This is what we're actually watching now with Andy Biggs and others. It is stunning to see. And I hope people will. I implore everyone. January 6th was an act of domestic terrorism. That's what the DOJ and the FBI called it. Let's let's frame it. Democrats like that. Republicans, Paul Gozar, Andy Biggs. Are you with the United States of America or are you with Trump's terrorists? Put their patriotism on the line day in and day out. No moral ambiguity. This was a terrorist attack. FBI's words, not mine.
2: I, you know, I, I feel like Rick. In a, in a lot of ways, you're you're like the guy who like got out of the Hale group before they like bought the you know they bought the matching beds, or like got out of the Jim <laughs> right. Jones group before they moved mm, to Guyana, like way. before they set up shop in Guyana. Like you survived just by getting off the you're getting out in time. I mean, let me read you what another guy who seems to have survived uh, the cult and, and and you know freed himself somehow from it all, Michael Gerson, uh, former Bush speechwriter. I mean, this is not a liberal writing. This is Michael Gerson for years. Kevin McCarthy has been Donald Trump's factotum, a and Sniveler held an obvious contempt by the object of his loyalty, but now McCarthy is emerging as a demagogue in his own right. In his chosen response, he's fully adopted the MAGA conception of governing as gangsterism. But Rick, he's not like a credible gangster. Like no one no. is afraid. People are scared of, of Speaker Pelosi because when she speaks, you better listen to her. Nobody's afraid of this guy. Is is there any possibility? That that caucus is going to, if they somehow manage to turn this nightmare into getting back the majority, are they actually going to make this full speaker? Is that something that could really
4: happen? That's the the reason Kevin is doing this performative stuff. That's why he's saying like, oh, this is like a speeding ticket. It's nothing big. He's doing that because he knows that there are now a uh, a large majority of the House who are – uh, bat guano crazy. They are absolutely <laughs> out of their damn minds. I'm told not to curse, and I, I listened today. Um, they're out of their damn minds. Listen, the church and, ladies will going to come
2: for you. You understand that the church ladies I listen know, to this I show, to, and yet. they got Believe their hats on, I know. and they were waiting for you. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Young man! But they, they, know, they know very well in Kevin McCarthy's little tiny circle of, of allies that there's a greater chance that Matt Gates... Or Marjorie Taylor Greene could be elected speaker or Donald Trump than mm. than Kevin McCarthy. So he is going to act like a jackass. He's going to do all this performative stuff because look, he thinks of himself as better and, and different than the rest of the people on the mutant parade that are on that <laughs> the, on that list of other people getting subpoenas. OK, he thinks of himself as much more elevated than those people. And he's not. He's rolling around, you know, uh, lie down with dogs, get up with Lauren Taylor, Lauren, Lauren Bobert, and Marjorie Taylor Green, and, <laughs> and Jim Jordan, and Mo Brooks, and the rest of the kooks.
2: I, 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 I listen, Juanita. I, I, I do, you know, in all seriousness. It, so, crew is looking into this. You know, the, the committee on, on responsibility and ethics in Washington—they're looking into this. You know, because this is actually serious. You know, making threats against private companies, which is again, not only is it not conser- a conservative move. It's actually a dangerous move. As much as we laugh at the idiocy of these people, they're actually they still have governmental power. And the idea that they're using that to try to threaten private companies to tell them you are to not comply with legal subpoenas is actually quite dangerous. And so I wonder, you know, how seriously it should be taken. Cruz, obviously, taking taking it seriously.
1: I think it should absolutely be taken seriously, Joy, but where you can stop the seriousness in the is in the fact that, as Dean said, there is no legal authority that mccarthy has to issue such threats and as rick said this is thug-like behavior it's just being delivered in a way that he thinks is elevated and so what was frustrating about all of this in my mind is where was the same energy two months ago when it was found out that trump used the doj to get his political opponents records and members of the press phone records where Mm -hmm. was that same energy no one was ringing alarm bells then no one was saying americans uh, all across the country are having their cell phone data threatened but now they are. It's, it's weak. It's pathetic. And they can't even deliver it well. Joy, look at him, McCarthy stumbling over himself, trying to get out these lies, get out these messages that we know appeal to an audience of one, Donald Trump. And it's a reminder of who the Republican Party is. It's the party of Trump. It's the party of lies. It's the party of violence. And frankly, it's the party of horse dewarmer, Joy, it, you can't <laughs> take them too seriously. I mean, we played in the
2: last hour. I mean, Jim Jordan, when he thought, you know, Donald Trump couldn't hear him and it was just him and some MAGA people going, well, you know, I'm not going to be in town on September 18th. I don't think I get there till the 19th. And, you know, even Ron Johnson, like dropping the like sort of cuckoo bird mask when he thinks that Donald Mm -hmm. Trump can't hear him and saying, I mean, Donald Trump really did lose. I mean, I mean, they understand that this stuff is BS. They know it isn't true. But the fact that they're willing to play along anyway is actually quite dangerous because the hardcores that show up on September 18th, those are the people we actually, have to worry about taking, trying to get a gun magazine through the airport or acting you know, absolutely wild and crazy and defecating in the, in, in the Capitol. It actually turns out that even if you don't believe something, you can prompt dangerous people to do dangerous things, Dean.
3: Absolutely, you can. And that's what Donald Trump did on January 6th. Joy, every time I talk to you, I plead with someone to wake me from this nightmare. We watched Donald Trump literally radicalize people for two months, lying about the election. He picked a date. He said, January 6th, be there. It'll be wild. He gave them a speech saying, we're going down there. We're going to stop the steal. We can't let this happen. He does it. And he's not charged. And we don't hear Democrats calling from the criminally prosecuted. And Democrats, I'm not saying chant lock him up. I'm saying Donald Trump is still radicalizing people. We had a guy two weeks ago drive with a pickup truck from North Carolina with bomb-making material. Donald Trump, and I'm pleading with it, please repeat after me, America. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump is the Osama bin Laden of January 6th. I call him Donald bin Laden for a reason. Without Donald Trump, there is no January 6th. And Democrats who think it's political to call for him to be prosecuted, it's not. It is not partisan to call for prosecuting someone who incited a terrorist attack. It is patriotic. So be patriots, my fellow Democrats, and call for him in a nuanced way to be criminally prosecuted, or we're going to see more terrorism. He just warned us last month. There's an increase in chatter by people on the right. We got the pickup truck guy. September 18th, they're coming back to the scene of the crime. And this is playing out in front of us, and no one's yeah. being charged. It's unbelievable. I mean—
2: I mean, and like Bin Laden, he's also the son, he's also the itinerant son of a, of a builder so it's a, that inherited all this money. Um, you know, Rick Wilson, it, this is the thing that, it, it, that I have to ask you as somebody who's been in the business True. on the other side of, you know, the ad wars, and you guys are really good at this stuff. At what point is there a tipping point where enough independents throw up their hands and do what you did and say, I can't be a part of this anymore? I know personally a lot of Republicans that have already done it, besides you and others, yeah, sure. At some point, does this jump the shark? This sort of fake gangsterism, the bounties on women in Texas, putting money on the heads of what are going to end up also being white suburban girls. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean at some it's, point, it's, it's, does it jump the shark?
4: Yeah. The Yeehaw Stasi they want to establish down in Texas <laughs> to report women, um, you know, for, for 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 seeking an abortion. It's it's going to have an eventual blowback because you know what? Yeah. an awful lot of suburban women who are not hyper political who are not who are not overtly political are going to say enough of this crap and it's not just about choice and abortion it's also about the 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 pranks about COVID that, that DeSantis and Abbott and other Republican governors are doing that are putting the kids of these uh, suburban Republican women in danger and independent leaning women in danger. You are going to see a division between them. You will see people making a choice between you know the Trump hottie, and 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 America. You will see yeah. them making that choice. They they made that choice in 2020 by a narrow margin, by you know 40,000 votes nationally. But I think the Republicans may be setting themselves up for a backlash here that is beyond, because, look, their base has started to shrink. It has started to contract. As it contracts, it's like a dying star. It becomes hotter and crazier. Um, and I, there will be there will be gettable votes out there in the suburbs in particular, among educated female voters, among independent-leaning male voters, uh, that Democrats can pick up. And they don't have to convince these people to become— Super hardcore progressives. They just need to say, hey, I don't want to be with the crazy guys who are storming the Capitol. I don't want to be with the with the covid truther or covid deniers and the anti-vax truthers and all the crazies. You you can divide them that way politically.
2: I think right that feels right to me, Juanita, because I mean, at a certain point, you just want your kids to survive. And if they're saying, "I want to let your kids get COVID," I want to let COVID into the elementary school. I don't care that the pediatric units are full of children who are sick and dying. Like at a certain point, I feel like you know, I, I, people people I know are starting to call Florida stan right? Because and these are not radically liberal people; they're just sick of him because they feel like he's turned that state into sort of an, an outlaw nation full of just, you know, full of children in ICU. Do Democrats understand how to take advantage of this? And I don't mean in a crass way, but to wake voters up to the urgency of denying these people power. And I mean at the local level from school board on up.
1: Well, I think, Joy, to that point about local impact, it's really about the negative harm that people feel in their everyday lives is going to change their voter behavior. And we heard just Rick just walk through that. And we also saw it in 2018 when suburban women also turned away from Trump and Republicans. So I think we can expect a degree of that. But for all the messaging in the world, Joy, none of that counteracts the voter suppression tactics we're seeing across the country that will ultimately give Republicans a leg up in elections at the local, at the state and at the federal level. So on top of that messaging and reminding people of the harm that Republicans are doing across the country, whether it's related to COVID, whether it's related to voting rights, whether it's related to uh, reproductive rights and abortion care, this ultimately comes down to voter turnout and who actually can access the ballot box easily. Uh, Wouldn't it be nice, Dean, if we had a party that had the cojones
2: to get rid of the filibuster and actually do something about it i'll give you the last word on that
5: well,
3: we're, we're like there's two you, you know what's remarkable when you watch america it doesn't seem like democrats control the white house the senate and the house of representatives it feels like republicans control everything because so yeah. mansion and kirsten cinema refuse to get rid of the filibuster so that we can save our democracy guys yeah. put the democracy over the filibuster please Real-
2: well, before we go, okay, I want to do a quick show of hands. Raise your hand if you think Mitch McConnell would nuke the filibuster in four seconds if he had the opposite situation. Opposite <laughs> situation. Okay, thank you. We 100%. gonna raise all. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Hello, He would have done it already. He would have done it before we get to commercial break. Okay, hello. Thank you, Dean Obadala, Juanita Tolliver, Rick Wilson. The church ladies love you, man. Up next on the readout, the Supreme Court's shadow docket giving victories to the far right in the dead of night. Justice Kagan correctly calling the actions of her right-wing colleagues on the court impossible to defend. Plus... Hospitals are having to deal with unvaccinated people getting sick from the quack remedies being suggested online and by their right-wing heroes. And in tonight's absolute worst, I'm going to expose the fallacy of the Republicans' core message to voters. Don't miss that, because the readout continues after this.
5: Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies
2: Late tonight, abortion providers in Texas got a small reprieve after a brutal week in the courts, with the Travis County District Court granting a temporary restraining order stopping the right-wing group Texas Right to Life from bringing lawsuits against Planned Parenthood and other Texas health clinics, while litigation over the state's six-week abortion law continues. This news comes as several states are planning to pass their own versions of that bill now that they know the Supreme Court will let them circumvent Roe v. Wade. The court's late-night decision has highlighted the issue of the shadow docket, where the court makes emergency decisions. As The New York Times points out, the court spent less than three days dealing with the Texas case. There were no oral arguments before the justices. The majority opinion was unsigned and one paragraph long. In her dissent, Elena Kagan wrote that this court's shadow docket decision-making every day becomes more unreasoned, inconsistent, and impossible to defend. Along with the Texas case, the Supreme Court overturned President Biden's eviction moratorium and required the administration to restart Trump's remain in Mexico plan, which makes asylum seekers await their cases in Mexico. The frequency of shadow docket cases have increased over the past few years, and they've tended to favor conservative priorities. According to The Washington Post, the Trump administration had positive rulings in 28 out of the 41 emergency applications from their DOJ and were only outright denied four times. Those rulings include Trump's travel ban, the ban on trans people serving in the military, and the go-ahead for the administration to execute people with lethal injections. The Senate Judiciary Committee announced today that they plan to hold a hearing on these shadow docket decisions. And with me now is Ellie Mestal, justice correspondent for The Nation, and Melissa Murray, NYU law professor and an MSNBC legal analyst. And I want to start with you because I know you've you've written a lot about both of you've talked a lot about the shadow docket stuff. This is what Steve Valdeck wrote in The Washington Post about this shadow docket that most people don't even really know much about. It says the ruling in the Texas case justified its non-intervention by flagging procedural questions. But the very same 5-4 majority in April had reached out to block California's in-home gathering restrictions on religious liberty grounds, despite a far more serious procedural roadblock. The fact that the court lacked the power to issue the order in question, it feels in a lot of ways like the court is using the shadow docket the way that Republicans use these local government orders and these sort of laws to try to get through legislation like what they're calling the sue thy neighbor bill in Texas. What they can't get by asking the majority, you know what I mean? They're not getting it from the majority, so they just sneak it through in in, in sort of sneaky ways. Is that a, a wrong way to look at it?
0: well they're also cowards right like let's not forget the like the the dripping flaming cowardice of not even being able to sign your name to the opinion ripping away 50 years of constitutional protection. The shadow docket is supposed to be for emergencies, right? So like aliens come to Earth and Biden's like, oh no, we should stop them. And the court's like, oh, we have to decide really quickly. Shadow, like that's what it's supposed to be for. There was no emergency here. Roe v. Wade was a 50, 60-year-old law. Planned Parenthood v. Casey was a 30, 40-year-old law. There was no emergency reason for them to throw out. And for them to throw out that law because they don't know the law, they the Supreme Court. They're literally we literally have them so they can make these decisions. And they were like, oh, this is too complicated. So we're going to throw away 50 years of law that that is craven. That is cowardice. That is the court trying to do something while avoiding the New York Times headline. Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade. That's what they were trying to get away with. That's what, all. These people who've been oh oh Texas abortion law severely weakens. That's what they wanted people to say, not the yeah. truth, which is that Roe v. Wade as of right now is dead letter law. If Texas and Iowa and Florida and Missouri and Arkansas and Indiana can just ignore women's right to choose,
2: and, and I feel like that is play, is is what they got right, Melissa. They they and I, I. That's how I feel that they're trying to get away with. Implementing very unpopular right-wing ideas that they believe in because of, you know, their own reading of Christian, of the Christian faith. And they want to do these things. But to do them through a normal case would be really bad headlines for the Roberts Court. And so they're just doing it in a sneaky way. It feels almost like Bush v. Gore. And it's working with some people. Let me, let me let you listen to Rich Lowry. And you had some thoughts on him before, but he seems to have bought their plan and said, see, they didn't overturn Roe. Here he is.
6: People are acting as though Roe has been overturned. I would welcome that outcome, and it may eventually be in this Dobbs case, but it hasn't been overturned uh, yet at all. This is a procedural ruling that clearly was the correct one. There was no harm here yet.
2: So that's a conservative activist pretending he's not seeing what happened because it's it's the better PR strategy. You had some thoughts on Twitter saying you wish you had been on to meet the press to respond to that. Well, you here now, sister, respond. <laughs>
7: So I appreciate the opportunity to say forthrightly that that take is absolutely absurd and really has no business being broadcast on mainstream television. This was a procedural ruling. That is absolutely correct. But procedural rulings have substantive implications. As Ellie said, this particular procedural ruling effectively got one away with two, three decades worth of Supreme Court precedent. Roe is effectively dead in Texas. Casey is effectively dead in Texas because of these rulings. And it is, as you say, Working on the shadow docket, the court can do things that it would not be able to do on the merits docket where there's far more attention. The silver lining of this entire week, which has been absolutely insane in terms of legal developments, is that now at least the public has some inclination about what happens on the shadow docket, that although this is supposed to be something for emergency expedited time sensitive appeals it's actually being used for more and more substantive, consequential litigation that gets decided without the benefit of full briefing and oral argument and without a lot of elaborate explanation, the kind of explanation that in a democracy, the public deserves.
2: Yeah. I mean, we've seen a lot of responses to what's happened in Texas. Lyft and Uber saying they're going to cover their legal fees for drivers soon under the Texas abortion law. They're going to donate a million dollars to Planned Parenthood. Lyft is. I mean, You're seeing people have to find ways around the fact that they know that now they can be sued. That, like, builds in the idea that Lyft drivers and Uber drivers could soon be sued because they took a woman to a clinic to get to end a pregnancy. It's it's insane to think about it. But I I can remember—I'm old enough to remember, Ellie, when Republicans used to accuse— the Democrats and liberal-leaning justices of legislating from the bench. And they were mad about things, I guess, like, like you know, Brown v. Board or the, or the 1973 abortion ruling in the first place, things on race and things on equality. In this case, it feels like between gutting the Voting Rights Act, the way that John Roberts court did, gutting Roe v. Wade, they're, they know that this is not what the majority of the public wants, but they're finding a way essentially to legislate.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, you're absolutely right. I just want to quickly add Rich Lowry is trash and everything he said was wrong, um, completely in any event. Um, yes, you're absolutely right. Um, they are legislating from the bench. There is no more big version of legislating from the bench than overturning the Voting Rights Act, which was passed by a voice vote in Congress, 93 to 6 in the Senate and signed by George W. doesn't care about black people, Bush. All right. Like that's the Voting Rights Act. And they gutted that from the bench. That is judicial activism. And you're right. The reason why they're doing that is because they're broadly unpopular. People do not like these laws. The American public does not support um, a ban on abortion rights. You know, it's like when you look at all the polls, There, basically people are in the middle like, oh, abortion should be legal sometimes, but illegal other times. That's the law now. That's the actual law right now. People would just look at it. Republicans can't overturn these laws through popular votes. So they use it. this is why McConnell stole a seat from Yes. From Barack Obama, why they pushed forward an alleged attempted rapist who likes beer and why they were so eager to get Amy Coney Barrett on the court. They couldn't wait for Ruth Bader Ginsburg to be buried properly like that. This is why they've tried to control the courts. And now we are, as Winston Churchill might say, or Al Court might say, we are living in a time of consequences. We are living in a time of consequences when our when our when our fundamental inaction and inability to stop Republicans from taking over the court now has consequences on the American people and on our rights as citizens.
2: You know, Melissa, and what scares me um, is that, despite the fact that, as Ellie says, there are large majorities. You know, who who still want democracy, who still believe that everyone should be able to vote regardless of race, regardless of age, regardless, you know, of what state they live in, that everyone should have equal access to the ballot, that believe that when when somebody wins an election and somebody loses, that should carry. You shouldn't be able to just flip an election and give it to who you want. The, the, The things that the vast majority of people want, women to have liberty, personal bodily liberty, most people want that. But that between Republicans who don't respect the rules and the laws and who are willing to to cheat and willing to do whatever it takes. And now the courts being on their side and there now being a solid majority of them who want to enact hyper right wing, basically even, you know, a certain type of evangelical rule over us, which is Talibanism, right? This is our sect and you will live by our sect, whether you want to be a part of it or not. That scares me because if the court is willing to do that, where do we go from here if we don't expand the court? I can't think of what else we do other than expand the court.
7: Mike, I think this is a critical issue. It is an issue that Democrats should have been banging the drum on for the last 20 years, and they never did. Um, We saw the Democratic National Convention last summer. They talked all about the Violence Against Women Act. They talked about the Voting Rights Act and immigration. No one said anything that all of those legislative measures had absolutely been gutted in five to four decisions at the United States Supreme Court. We have to take the court seriously. Um, We're in a moment now. We have the Senate by just a sort of hair's breadth And we need to be moving. We need to be putting judges on the bench in the same way that the Trump administration did. The Trump administration did absolutely zero on their domestic policy except put judges on the bench. And they did it at every level of the federal judiciary. And they're
2: stacked now to essentially suborn our democracy to their very particular version of right wing evangelical Christian, what they call Christianity. And they're going to force the rest of us to live under those rules. That is no different than Talibanism. And we're just watching it happen like it ain't happening. It's happening, guys. Wake up, everybody. Uh, Democrats, wake up. Ellie Mastal will be back later. Melissa Murray, thank you very much. It's great to have you on the show. Still ahead. The dangers of COVID misinformation being spread by the right as ivermectin overdoses strain already overtaxed hospitals. We'll be right back.
4: Alpha One Niner commence Wi Fi device checklist. Laptops on, TVs streaming.
2: We are heading into Labor Day weekend and people are itching to get out and celebrate the final weekend of the summer. But if you're not vaccinated, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky is urging you to stay your behind home. That warning comes as a new variant known as Mu was designated by the World Health Organization as a variant of interest. Earlier this week, Dr. Anthony Fauci told reporters that it's not an immediate threat. Currently, the Delta variant continues to ravage the country, finding willing hosts among the unvaccinated. According to The New York Times, the number of daily reported deaths has more than quadrupled since the beginning of August. And just yesterday, Florida broke yet another record for the state's largest single-day increase in deaths. Meanwhile, Georgia has the second-highest number of hospitalizations in the country, behind Kentucky. Ohio, a deeply conservative state with a low vaccination rate, is suffering from a critical shortage of beds and staff. Health providers in that state are preparing to follow crisis standards of care which calls for giving scarce resources to the patients most likely to survive. So things are clearly bad, but they're being made even worse by people who have refused to take the vaccine and instead are swallowing horse paste. The emergency room in one rural Oklahoma town is being overwhelmed by people overdosing on ivermectin, the horse deworming medication. It's gotten so bad that gunshot victims, gunshot victims are having to wait to be treated. By the way, the pharmaceutical company that produces ivermectin, Merck, had to tell people that there was no scientific basis or evidence for using ivermectin when it comes to COVID. Despite that, these folks would rather eat the horse deworming medication than just take the free shot. With me now is Dr. Lippy Roy, medical director of COVID isolation and quarantine sites for housing works in New York City, and NBC News senior reporter Ben Collins. And Dr. Lippy Roy, I got to tell you, it has to be frustrating. I'm not even a clinician and it is so frustrating to me to hear people who are willing to take a, a, a horse medicine and drink that because they think they're evading big pharma and it's made by big pharma and it's not for COVID. How frustrating is it for you that people are now taking up hospital beds because they chose to drink in order to consume ivermectin instead of getting the shot?
8: Yeah, so happy Friday, Joy. Good to see you. Um, <clears throat> I want to make sure your viewers understand that inappropriate administration of medications um, can have a, a constellation of harmful side effects. Uh, in the case of ivermectin, uh, which, by the way, to be very clear, is not FDA approved for the treatment of COVID-19. It is FDA approved to treat um, parasitic infections such as river blindness, malaria, but not COVID-19. There are active clinical trials being run right now, but ivermectin, especially when it's, when people are overdosing on it, can cause a lot of serious side effects, including seizures, coma, and death. Uh, people need to just really stick with the, the evidence-based medications, treatment. And yes, the gold standard right now is prevention, which is the vaccine joy. That's the message that people need to know.
2: And the reason we have you on here, Ben, in a, in a, in a segment of, in a COVID segment where normally we would have two doctors is because people are, are listening more to social media, which you cover for us so brilliantly at NBC News, than they're listening to people like Dr. Libby Roy. Where are they getting this idea that they should go out and go to the feed store and pick up something and drink it?
6: Yeah, they're getting it from podcasts. They're getting it from Facebook. They're getting it from insular groups that are but really, frankly, just don't trust the government. What you have to think about when you're thinking about a large section of politics right now, specifically with Donald Trump supporters, is think about what the government is saying. Uh, assume it's a cabal made to hurt you and do the opposite. So what's the opposite here? It's don't take the vaccine and take a therapeutic that people are sort of guessing works. Um, there's no proof that it does work. In this case, it's ivermectin. The problem is we're up to you know, 80,000, 90,000 uh, prescriptions of this stuff out there. So people who need it can't get it. So they're going now, you know, all these people who are trying to get some and now it's so overpriced, it's hundreds of dollars instead of tens of dollars where it used to be. Uh, you know, they are going to the feed store instead. They're taking five times the amount that's regular for a person because that's meant for horses and they're getting really, really sick.
2: And people like Joe Rogan, who are out there saying, hey, I just, like, who, who has COVID and he's very popular. Younger people are listening to people like him. There was that 30 year old activist in Texas who treated himself with ivermectin rather than, you know, getting the shot and doing the normal things that you would do. He is now dead at 30, leaving young children and a pregnant wife. Do, do, are you seeing evidence that people actually turning up dead from doing this and the stories of people dying and people getting sick? from trying these other drugs are having any impact on the you know in these worlds these feeds and these facebook feeds when they see that people are dying does it change their minds
6: uh it's not falsifiable uh the the stuff the problem with this sort of thing is people don't go back to share their failures in these spaces. This is sort of a, a, a widespread extremist problem that you have. People who are, for example, incels. Once they are no longer incels, once they got a girlfriend or once they got a job, they don't go back to the incel board and be like, "Hey guys, uh, I got a job. Everything's fine now. It's okay." It doesn't happen that way. Um, you know, with ivermectin, it's it's kind of similar with the people in the ivermectin Facebook groups. They don't go back because they're embarrassed. If it didn't work right. for them. Um, if they got COVID anyway, if their family got sick or died from it and they treated them with, with ivermectin instead of bringing them to the hospital, they don't go back and share that. Uh, they're too embarrassed to deal with it. So that's the problem with these spaces. They're so insular. They're so closed off from actual medical reality that they never see the reality themselves.
2: So, Dr. Roy, is the answer now going to be that hospitals should all go to that clinical that 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 emergency sort of standard of care, meaning that you do you should hospitals be prioritizing, you know, children because they can't help being unvaccinated um, people who have gunshot wounds and cancer and the things that, you know, are unpreventable and nothing that, that you could have done about it. And rather than allowing the ivermectin people to take up all of these beds, because it feels like at a certain point there are limited resources, human resources, care resources and actually physical resources. And it feels like people who have other issues are just getting crowded out.
8: Yeah, I, so look, what happens in hospitals is that when a patient presents, they are triaged in the in the waiting room. And the people who are most clinically unstable, say low blood pressure, uh, low heart rate, they're uh, bleeding profusely, they're the ones that are going to be prioritized. So irrespective of cause, uh, those those yeah. that are most unstable, uh, the br- respiratory distress, regardless of the cause, they're, yeah. the, they're the ones that are going to be prioritized. But what's happening is the people that are getting pri- the sickest the most are the people that will come Covid nineteen and we're
2: yeah. unvaccinated. Let, let me ask you really quick before we before I let you go. We had a couple of questions that folks asked me coming in. People are wondering should they get the flu shot. In, in addition, because now there's the question of and, you know if you are vaccinated, you're trying to do the right thing. Is it important to also get the flu shot now?
8: One thousand percent. Please, please, please get the flu shot. Remember, if influenza is a different virus that causes uh, causes flu. So please get that. It'll re- also reduce your risk of getting hospitalized and reduce the burden on healthcare workers that are okay. taking care of. COVID They can't take care of flu- influenza as well. Get the flu shot.
2: And the last question, there's some now back and forth on whether people should be getting these boosters. Do you have an
8: opinion on that? Yeah, I do. So um, I have mixed feelings, actually. Look, I'm somebody who's eligible to get the booster shot uh, in a month or so. But the problem is that it's it, when the rest of the or the majority of the world is still unvaccinated and we know that new variants emerge in communities with low vaccination rates. Uh, that's going to be a problem because the Delta came from other other countries. Right. right. So it, it's in our best interest, Joy, for, to have everybody get vaccinated. Yeah, absolutely. And look, y'all,
2: if we are already on Moo, that means we breezed past Lambda, which was here for a hot minute. And we've go, we're going all the way through that, that alphabet and we're already on moo. It's getting worse and worse and worse. This is terrifying. Dr. Lippy Roy will be back later. Ben Collins, man. Thank you very much. Up next, calling yourself the pro-life pro-family party while spreading COVID misinformation and restricting women's rights is just the absolute worst. Yes. I'm looking at you GOP. We'll be right back. So you can't call yourself a pro-life party if your policy goals are to allow the maximum number of people to die of COVID, including children, by banning mask mandates in businesses and schools and raising doubts about vaccines, especially if your policy ideas bring death to your own stars and spokespeople and activists. Republicans are America's most unvaccinated and vaccine-resistant group, and they are driving COVID cases and deaths, including among their own children and other people's children, and are largely responsible for the overwhelmed hospitals that we're seeing today. That's not pro-family, and it's definitely not pro-life. You can't call yourself a pro-life, pro-family party if your policy goals are to put bounties on pregnant women and to force teenage girls to give birth after getting pregnant as a result of incest and rape. That's literally the plot of The Handmaid's Tale, but pro-life, it is not. Especially if your other core policies are to oppose giving those children you demand to be born health care. If you oppose giving their parents a living wage so they can afford to feed them and you oppose funding free lunches at school if their parents can't afford it. You can't call yourself pro-life if your policy goals are to allow polluters to despoil the earth and wreck the environment so that more people die as a result of increasingly violent storms and hurricanes and floods and wildfires. That's literally a pro-death policy that includes being real cool with the death of the planet. And if your voters overwhelmingly vote to re-elect a president who was morally responsible through his own inaction and lies for the deaths of more than a half a million fellow Americans, And you're still plotting to put him back in office and spreading dangerous lies about the election that the FBI says are fueling domestic terrorism? Even after members of your dear leader's cult stormed our Capitol, bringing treason flags and nooses and hunting lawmakers, including the five foot tall woman speaker, while chanting hang Mike Pence. You are not pro-life. If you continue to demand that more American troops keep dying in forever wars so military contractors can keep raking in the dough, that is not pro-life. The Republican Party is a lot of things. Anti-democracy, anti-voting, anti-history, anti-facts, and deeply opposed to anti-racism. What they are not is pro-life. Just asked Governor Tate Reeves of Mississippi, who told supporters at a fundraiser that Southerners' belief in eternal life makes them less scared of COVID. Okay. That is a demonstratively pro-death statement. And the Republican Party has now revealed itself to be loudly and proudly the pro-death party. And for that, they are tonight's absolute worst. Who won the week is straight ahead. Stay with us. Well folks, once again we made it to Friday. Thank God. And it is now time to play our favorite game. Who won the week?
8: Back with me, Dr. Lippy Roy and Ellie Mastyle. Dr. Lippy Roy, who won the week? So, look, as an addiction medicine doctor, I was very supportive of International Awareness, uh, Overdose Awareness Day um, and harm reduct- pro-harm reduction organizations. But as a doctor, as a woman of color and a doctor to disenfranchise and underserved women, I found the Texas abortion laws heinous. Any law that forces pregnancy and motherhood derails that woman's potential eco- educational economic uh, opportunities. So that's why I thought these TikTok hacktivists were brilliant. They, um, they bombarded the Texas whistleblower website with fake tips and reports, including over <laughs> 700 of Governor Abbott himself getting illegal abortions. Texas lawmakers are getting a taste of their own medicine, Joy. Don't mess with them TikTok kids. They are something else. I love it.
2: I love it. That's a good answer. All right, Ellie Mustama. guess you're not going to say Mitch Lowry. Who, who do you think what? through? <laughs>
0: justice (laughs) sonia maria sotomayor um she wrote the dissent we just talked about how the republican majority was so craven and ludicrous they couldn't even sign their name to their decision taking away women's rights to choose but you know who could sign her name sonia from the block signed her name she wrote a dissent that will stand i think for posterity of the of the shamelessness with which, her, with which her colleagues acted. And, you know, look, at the end of the day, people like Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett will be remembered as deplorable hurdles on the path towards justice in this nation. Whereas people like Sonia Sotomayor will be remembered as a person who in real time saw the evil and did what she could to fight against it. I think she won the week because her decision will stand much longer than these Texas anti-abortion wingnuts.
2: Oh, this 6-3 court is going to go down Dred Scott Road, the Dred Scott Road in terms of their reputation. You're absolutely right. Well, I have needed to have off the news entertainment to keep me sane during all of this madness. So I'm going to pick somebody who directed a movie. And my post is Nia DaCosta. Nia DaCosta won the week. She became this week with 22 million in the bank from August 27 to 29 for her film Candyman, the first black woman director to debut at numero uno, number one. Nia DaCosta won the week. Thank you guys very much. Thank you,